So glad that you could join us for another edition of Running the Race with Rob King. Glad that you're here. As we continue through the book of Revelation, we're at Revelation chapter 9. We're simply going through verse by verse uh, teaching of the scripture, and uh, we're getting to the sixth trumpet now. If you've made it this far, we're through a lot of the uh, tribulation. We're at the end of the tribulation. It's picking up in intensity. And just when you think it couldn't get any worse, it does get worse. I'm reminded that there's this common misconception that really originates in the pride of men, that if given enough evidence or given enough information, if given enough miracles, if we could see enough, if it could be proven, then we would repent. Proof is necessary before salvation. This is the common misconception that proof is necessary before we will give our life to Christ. If we just had enough evidence, if we just had enough proof, then we would repent. And if this if this tribulation proves anything, I mean, it proves the sovereignty of God in judgment and many other things, but also continually points to the hardness of our own hearts, men turned against God, and that the fact that only God can do a work in a person's heart that brings them to the point of repentance. Revelation chapter 9 is where we are, the sixth trumpet, uh, verses 13 through 21. Let's read there. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice From the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, one saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates, and the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and the day and month and year were released, so that they would kill a third of mankind. The number of the armies of the horsemen was two hundred million. I heard the number of them. And this is how I saw in the vision the horses and those who sat on them. The riders had breastplates, the color of fire, and of hyacinth, and of brimstone. And the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths proceed fire and smoke and brimstone. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which proceeded out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents and have heads, and with them they do harm. And the rest of mankind, who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands, so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. So here we see the release of these demons, the sixth trumpet, the sixth trumpet, the release of these demons. There are these powerful demons that are being released, and they're going to destroy a third of humankind. Now, the voice that releases these demons, not identified, could very well be the Lord, Jesus, the Lamb, 
because he's saying this from the four horns, the golden altar, which we've seen over and over again in this vision. So there's the release of these demons, and they're going to destroy a third of mankind. And if you remember earlier on, there was already uh, uh, a number of uh, people already destroyed. And so now there's going to be even more destruction. I'm reminded of the fact that God is so gracious, he's so kind, he's so merciful, and yet at the same time there is a point where he is going to judge. His spirit will not strive with man forever, the Bible says. So he's merciful and he's loving, and I I continually come back to this idea that this is the moment, the hour of judgment, and we're reading it, and it's, it's, it's tough to comprehend, it's tough to take in. So you have to remember that although God is, is holy, loving, kind, he's, he's completely just. And he will not strive with man forever. And the scripture is very clear on this. Hebrews chapter 10 says, Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's Hebrews chapter 10. Also reminds you of a famous sermon by Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. There was a generation that understood the judgment of God, but ours not at all. We are inundated with false teachers who only talk about love, but never talk about justice. God is love, but in his love is perfect holiness, and in perfect holiness is justice. And in justice, there is judgment. There is coming a time. You know, as a parent, you can be patient and patient and patient, but there's coming a time when you draw a line and and consequences are there. And this is where we are right now. As tough as this may be to read or to understand, this is God's judgment. Here's what's interesting. When he releases these bound demons, these demons are bound, he releases them. They are under his command and under his control. They were bound by him, and they're released by him. They do his bidding. Obviously, these have to be demons because angels only do what the Lord wants them to do. These demons are told exactly what to do and have to be bound and then are released. But but understand this. Even though these demons are released by Almighty God, they're under his sovereign control. The site of all of this, where this is happening, is by the great river Euphrates, which is really throughout all of Scripture. It's where the first sin took place. It's a 1,700-mile it's uh, river, and it's really throughout all of Scripture where the first lie was told, the first murder, the Tower of Babel, just as a few examples. It's the river uh, that um, the armies of God are going to cross when the Battle of Armageddon takes place. So this is a very popular place. These four angels that are released, uh, some have related them to what is in Daniel chapter 10, which would be these four demonic leaders of these 
given uh, major world empires, Babylon and Greece and Rome and the likes. And, and there is no doubt that there is demonic forces that control and influence these major groups of people. This could very well be these demons. Uh, the truth of it is, as we read it, they are extremely powerful. And they're going to war against humankind. And they're going to war against humankind. They're going to be doing the devil's work and pleased to do the devil's work. But we need to understand that above all of that, it is, it is what God is desiring to be done. Here again, we come back to the sovereignty of Almighty God, even over, yes, judgment and even these demons. I guess I could personally say that if there are things happening in your life right now, and you're, you're, you're tempted perhaps to give the enemy too much credit, as you repent before the Lord, as you live for Him, you are His child, and you, you can place yourself under His sovereign hand, knowing that He is ultimately in charge of everything that's happening in your life as you surrender to Him. And this is true in this judgment. It goes on to say, And the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and the day and the month and the year were released so that they would kill a third of mankind. It's interesting that they had been prepared for that hour and that day and that month and that year. So here again, we see that just, I, I keep kind of saying this over and over again, but the sovereignty of God in all of these things, that to the very hour, to the very day, his plan is being carried out. Now, the number of the armies and the horsemen was 200 million. This is a demonic force, not an earthly force. There's no evidence in the scripture that this is some kind of earthly force, but it's 200 million uh, demonic force strong. And he emphasizes the fact that it's that many because he said, I heard the number of them. And then he describes what they were like. He describes the fact that they had uh, certain characteristics. And these characteristics are not, again, it's not saying that they are exact. He's trying to put in human terms what this demon force looked like. Say, well, they looked like horses, but they had tails. I understand when he says that they were like this and like that. He's just trying to put it in a way that we can understand it. The riders had breastplates, the color of fire, right, and smoke and brimstone. In other words, death is coming with them. There's these plagues that proceeded out of their mouths. And then they had this power in their, their tails, their serpents that have heads. They weren't serpents, but they were like serpents. It, I mean, it's, it just imagine the frightening scene that John was uh, looking at. And they were coming to destroy with divine judgment over a billion people on the earth. He heard the number was 200 million, and they came to destroy a quarter, or a, rather a third of those who were on the earth. And so then it said they had heads like horses, uh, uh, like the heads of lions, right? Smoke and brimstone. This is John trying to describe the horrific, ungodly, demonic nature of this army that was 200 million strong. 
goes on to say, And the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the work of their hands, so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and silver and of brass and of stone and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. So, in other words, after all of this death occurs, and if you can imagine, when, when this death starts happening, there's a third of humankind is destroyed. The cleanup would be near impossible. Just getting rid of the, the bodies, think of it. I mean, as horrific as this is, the time that it would have taken to just, uh, for, the, for the cleanup of all of this. But then you think of the mentality of the people who are enduring all of these things, but instead of repenting, instead of looking to God, instead of hearing the gospel, hearing from the evangelists that we heard about before, the 144,000, the witnesses, the, the existing Christians, instead of listening to them and seeing this as a judgment from God, instead of repenting of their sins and turning to God, there is widespread murder, uh, anger, hatred, sinfulness, and a refusal, an absolute refusal to repent. So it's just like those who rejected Jesus. They saw his miracles, they saw his healing power, they heard him preach, but they wouldn't believe his report. Have you ever thought about the fact that there were people with Jesus I mean, aside of, uh, from, from Judas and those who were close to him, but those who were in the crowds among Christ, who would have seen the miracles, who would have eaten the miracle meal that he provided, that would have seen him uh, raise Jairus' daughter, that would have seen the miracles that he performed, would have been there with him, hearing him preach, watching him uh, live, knowing that everything that he said, that it was just beautiful and brilliant, and there was nothing that you could say against it. And then watching on top of that, just the, there were times where he healed everyone who was sick. And yet, they did not believe. There were those who saw all of those miracles and did not believe when we imagine ourselves being there, you imagine, well, if I were there, I would have done this. If I were there, I would have done that. We're assuming that by seeing, we would be believing. We're assuming that the heart of man can be changed by what we see, that if we see enough miracles, that we will somehow be transformed on the inside, that it is the seeing that is the believing. It is the proof that is the believing. But as I stated at the beginning, just like the people who were with Christ, these people who are in the end times will see all of these horrific tragedies, and still their heart will continue to be hard. It's what, it's what it says, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes, and he has hardened their heart so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted, and I heal them. That's from John. Jesus was very clear that there were people who would see but not see. They would hear, but they wouldn't be able to hear. It's only those that God has chosen 
It's only by His power and His grace and His might and His mercy that anyone can see Him at all. It's all from Him, and it's all for His glory. And even in these end times with all of these tragedies, people will still not turn. Are you surprised by this? They will still not turn to God, but instead they will continue in their sorceries. They will continue to serve and and worship things that are created. They'll continue to have idolatry. They'll continue in their sin, refusing to serve Christ. Have you ever have you ever thought, man, if someone would just hear the gospel, if they would just know it, or if they would just be able to see one miracle, if they could just see something that would convince them, if they could hear one sentence that was the magic word that would then convince them. That is not how salvation works. Salvation works by God, by God and His grace. We pray for those around us who don't know Christ, that He would be gracious to them and open their eyes so that they would see, open their ears so that they would hear, that they would see Him for who He is. But we understand that when we see Him for who He is, when we believe upon Him, when we repent of our sins, even that is just evidence of the work that God is doing and has been doing in our lives. It's not by any miracle, a miracle that we could see. It is a miracle in our heart, but it's not a miracle that we can see. It's God's incredible grace. But he says that while all of this is going on, those who weren't killed by the plagues did not repent. They didn't repent so as not to worship demons or the idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and wood, by the way, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. They didn't repent of their murders or their sorceries or their immorality or their thefts. They didn't repent of any of this. We're reminded here that when people have false religion in their life, or idolatry even, any false idol... Obviously, there's not a God behind that idol that exists, but there are demons that will imitate that idol in order to uh, trick us, uh, trick human beings and and deceive us. Because, I mean, there's nothing better for, for a demon to hide behind than a false religion or a false idol. Because then they're thereby somehow verifying it and trapping people and capturing their souls. So you could say, well, Mormonism is empty because there's nothing behind it. No, there's, there's something behind it. It's such a deception. There are demons, strong demons behind that deception because they want to deceive human beings and carry them into hell. But in the end times, they don't give up their sorceries. They don't give up their idolatries. They don't give up their demon worship. Now, this idolatry might not be seen from people, you know, people who are Mormons wouldn't admit, hey, I'm worshiping demons. But the fact is that demons are behind all of these things. To worship an idol or a false deity is to worship demons. The Apostle Paul said the things which the Gentiles uh, sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons, and so there is this behind every false religion, this, this power of, of the enemy. But they didn't give up those idolatries. They didn't give up those sorceries. In this time, when this is happening on the earth, murders will be rampant. The hatred will be rampant. And sinfulness and sorceries and idolatries and witchcraft 
immorality will be rampant. As you imagine the thefts and stealing, when there is this incredible lack of control over the planet, when cultures are falling apart, when infrastructure is absolutely unsettled, when buying and selling and markets are destroyed and people are then, what are they left to their own resources? They're, they're stealing, they're murdering, they're living in sin. The, the sin of uh, sexual perversion will be rampant. This is uh, the picture that John gives of the world at this time. And in the middle of this, God's incredible judgment, instead of men turning to God, men will continue in their sorceries and continue in their sin. What is it? What is it about us that allows us to not turn to God, but instead continue to worship ourselves, to continue in pride? Have you considered that? What is it about human beings that makes us so naturally against Almighty God? It is our sinfulness. I, I, I know this. We are more sinful than we think, and God is more holy than we can imagine. We, by, by nature, don't give God enough credit, and we give ourselves way too much credit. We see depicted in Revelation the real, um, how do I want to say, the, the, the real state of the human heart. We are not people who are naturally looking for God. We are not people who are naturally trying to find God. God is not hiding from us, and we are not looking for Him. The fact of the matter is, if, if we could see the human heart completely revealed right now, we'd see that we are, by nature, haters of God. And if there's anything in us that loves God or desires God or wants to take any step towards Him, that is a work from Him. Imagine this. Any good thing about us comes from Him. Any desire for Him comes from Him. If we have repented of our sins, that's a gift from Him. As we live for Him, that's from Him. A new life, a new creation, a, a new person that He has made us into, that is a gift from Him. So then, if that is true of you, you said, I have repented of my sins, I do have a desire for God, I do love His Word, I do love His church, I do want to worship, I do all of these things, That all of that comes from Him. What does that mean for you as a believer in Christ? That means that Every day that you wake up, you are completely dependent on Him. That if you desire to pray, that desire comes from Him. That if you desire His Word, that comes from Him. As you're involved in His beautiful church, that comes from Him. So then all of that comes from Him and goes back as glory to Him. So our whole life, our whole life, all of our salvation, all of our prayers, all of our worship, any holiness, any righteousness, all of that is from Him and goes back to Him and gives Him glory. And if you wanted to say, what is the purpose of our life? You could, you could basically wrap it up by saying the purpose of all of it is for the glory of Almighty God. So the question becomes this, what are you living for? What am I living for? Are you living for his glory, not for your satisfaction, not for your fulfillment, not to reach your destiny. No, to give him glory. And you can pray today 
and ask the Lord, Father, would you help me to live more for your glory, not my own, not my own life, not my own will, but your will be done. And we can pray for those who are around us, people who are right now in danger of facing the very judgment we're reading about in Revelation, that they would come to a knowledge of who Jesus Christ really is by his grace and his mercy. Matter of fact, let's pray to that end today. Father, we come to you today. We thank you for your wonderful word. We thank you that you're sovereign. God, we thank you that you're in charge of salvation. You're in charge of demons. You're in charge of history. You're in charge of the future. And Lord, this, what we see from John, is that you are completely in charge of the final judgment. We trust you, Father God, that everything you do is good and right and just and clean and pure. And now we ask you, Lord, that you would help us. Those of us who know you, we admit that we only know you because of your grace. We thank you, Father, for your grace, you, you, you working in our life to make us desire you, to let us know you is a gift that we will forever and for eternity give you praise for. God, give us a, a deeper desire to, to know you, to serve in your church, to love you, to praise you, to worship you, to live righteous and holy lives before you. Father, we pray for those today who do not know you, who are not acknowledging you. God, that you would be gracious and kind, that you would work in their life and give them a desire for you, that you would grant them by your will salvation, that they too would rejoice in bringing you glory with everything in their life. We thank you, Father. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.